say the maracas, I go chick chicky boom, chick chicky boom. From Studio A in Las Vegas, welcome to Cuba Pete. No laughing matter. We're going to talk tough subjects, how they intersect with different things in society, and particularly with us as medical educators in a new medical school we're starting here at Roseman. And one of the things, apart from this incredible guest we have, who I will introduce shortly, is we need his advice as to what do we need to do to prepare the future workforce of physicians. It is my great pleasure and honor to introduce Spencer Haywood, who is an individual that uh, I grew up watching. I'm not that much younger than you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> the, uh, the youngest ever to receive an Olympic gold medal in uh, basketball in 1968. And if you remember correctly, 1968 was one of those years that will stand in the history of this country. The murder of Martin Luther King of Bobby Kennedy. That was the year that Muhammad Ali, after declaring himself a Muslim, was exiled for one year from boxing. This was a year where we had race riots, where everything was changing. This was a year where America was on the verge, I felt, of either falling apart or really getting much better, a time in history we're repeating now. This individual also changed the road for so many future basketball players by his case going all the way to the Supreme Court to allow basketball players to come into the NBA prior to four years after high school graduation. I think LeBron had to say thank you, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. He's about $200 million yeah. richer. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the ring he's wearing is from the NBA Hall of, Hall of Fame. He also has one that he keeps at home from when they won the uh, NBA ch uh, championship with the Lakers and then he played with the Knicks. You also played in Italy, didn't you? I played one year in Italy, but Did most you? of my, my career was in Seattle. In we don't have a team anymore, but... Okay. Right. Yeah, Seattle Supersonics. Seattle Supersonics. And now, in his hometown community of Las Vegas, he is the biggest voice for making sure that black and brown people get vaccinated. Because there's a deep history in this country of distrust towards my profession and what we have done. And if it weren't for figures like himself, we wouldn't be here. And I think one of the most fascinating things I read about you mm -hmm. was your drive to get your mom out of the cotton fields and into a house. I just think that that is just tells everything about you. Yes, well, I was born in this tiny place called Silver City, Mississippi. It ain't no city and it ain't no silver. <laughs> it was only cotton fields. We were sharecroppers and wow. indentured slavery. My mom picked cotton from the time she was four years old. Oh, wow. And so when we got, uh, when, when I got ready to leave there, uh, she told me to leave and go up north because there was no future there for me in Silver City because they had started the, the trail of insanity by putting young kids in jail. Mm. And then they, you are relegated to the farm. And so, uh, she let me go up to Michigan, and when I went up to Michigan, and I started playing for a great, the first black coach in NC2A Division One history. Oh, really? Will Robinson, oh, okay. and uh, the whole city of Detroit was like 
you know, we got this guy from Mississippi, and he's going to lead us to the Class A state championship that had eluded the city of Detroit for 35 years. Wow. Oh, wow. And so we had um, all of the Motown people, uh, Barry Gordy, Smokey Robinson, uh, the Temptation, uh, in particular, uh, Melvin Franklin took a, a liking to me, and they all watched over me during that period. And we, lo and behold, we did win the Class A state championship, and then I was off to college. And that, while off to being, being in college, I wanted my mom to see me play, and so uh, I signed with the University of Tennessee and not thinking about, you know, I'm the first black down here or anything like that. And Adolph Rupp had just lost to Texas Western, and, and that was uh, a total of, you know, I guess it was five blacks on that team. So he wanted me there, and it was just... Wasn't Pat Riley on that team? Yeah. <laughs> that loss. Yeah, that yeah loss. Pat was on that team, of course. <laughs> it ended up being my coach, but definitely <laughs> go down the line for that. But we ended, um, so I ended up uh, transferring from there to Trinidad State Junior College, oh, where yeah. I became the um, the MVP of junior college. Uh, and I, but I was just nineteen. I was eighteen, nineteen years old, and so that year, the Olympic team was rolling around for the 68 Olympics. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wanted to work with Kiss in Harlem, which was a boycott. Uh, Elvin Hayes signed his, uh, his pro contract and Wes Unsell signed their pro contract, making them ineligible to play. And then when we got down to um, Albuquerque for the selection of the team after we had played a number of games and selections, uh, they were cut. We had all of our p players in there, and they had the great Pete Maravich in that room, um, Calvin Murphy, uh, all of those players. Wasn't it Pistol Pete Maravich? Pistol Pete Maravich. Yeah, that's right. 44 points a game. Really? And he got cut. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they cut him. They cut him, and they cut Rick Mount, and Rick Mount was averaging 39. And that's NC2A, Division One. And Calvin Murphy was averaging 33, so they got cut. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> what are, who are they going to pick? You know, and they cut Tom Bowinkle, who was our big center that was, you know, doing a lot of things. Dan Itzel, all those players was there. And and I keep saying, yeah, they said, well, our first player picked it's Spencer Haywood. I was like, oh! <laughs> 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 so, so, so the committee says, well, listen, you know, we're going to need your birth certificate. And I was like, okay. I think I signed an affidavit when I came up from Mississippi to go to high school in Michigan. Let me call my mom. I called my mom, and we had the Olympic Committee on, on the line. And she, they said, come on, send, it, send up his birth certificate so we can, like, get a passport because we have to go to Russia, Yugoslavia, and we go, go on down to Mexico City. She said, listen, the boy is right here on the John 21 in my Bible because I was born by a midwife. They, so they yeah. wrote it in the Bible like oh. the old days. <laughs> so so, so she, they said, well, well, can you send that Bible up, you know, right quick and we'll... Uh, certify that and we'll uh, get him a birth certificate. She said, no, baby, that don't work like that. <laughs> this this don't work like that. This is before photocopying. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so she says, no, 
somebody got to come down here because I, this Bible haven't left my side since I was four years old, and it ain't about to leave now. Wow. And so, <laughs> so we came down and took a picture of it and went down to the Jackson um, Vital Statistic, and they said, oh, yeah, we got a record of him, but we didn't have, they didn't have to file it because I was born by a midwife. And so we got the birth certificate, and then we shot on over to Russia and to Yugoslavia. We played over there, wow. and then we've circled back into New York. And we played against the, this is the Olympic team. We played against the Knicks in the scrimmage. And Willis Reed, beautiful soul, he, he came over to me, DeBusher and all of them. Dave DeBusher was, you know, recruited me for U of D anyway, yeah. University of Detroit. So he was like, man, you guys are going to win it. And we was like, the first time we had had some hope because Howard Cosell was writing about all of the, you know, like, this team is not going to win a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so we, then we went down to Cincinnati to play against Oscar Robinson in the scrimmage game there. And that's when Oscar took us all aside. Y'all going to win this thing. Then we, we get into Mexico City for the games, and there is this disturbance about, well, you know, who's going to boycott? Are you going to have any salutes or anything? We don't need that in this, in this environment. You're here as an American team. We've got all these other teams from worldwide. We don't need no trouble. And so and to stop you from having trouble, we invited a very special guest. So the door creaks open, creak a little bit. And we're like, oh, man, that's Jesse Owens. And... Oh. And so John Carlos set up in his seat because, you know, track guys, yeah, you know, they yeah. like Jesse Owens. So. And Jesse started talking to us about, you know, the importance of what we were doing, why we need to uh, serve African-American communities as well as all Americans because we are wrapped in the American flag. We are the U.S. Olympic team. And so John said a little something that didn't tick. It kind of hit Jesse a little bit. And when he did that... Uh, Jesse says, hey, what if you would have had to run before Hitler? And we were like, oh, he dropped the H-man on us. <laughs> he dropped the H-man on us. <laughs> and so then all of us said, well, hey, you know, we ain't got no problems, bro. <laughs> this is cool. And prior to him, uh, prior to him coming down, they had had a meeting with uh, all of the greats, uh, Jackie Robinson, all of them, about this, this what's going to go on in the 68 Olympics. And so... We just went out and played hard and worked hard. And then when it came down to Tommy and John's medal round, uh, and we got mad at John Carlos because he looked over as they was at the finish line. And when he looked over, the Australian passed him. We were like, John, we had one and two. <laughs> and so John get up on the, on the podium, and they have the shoes off and they have the glove on. And we're thinking, man, the brother's going to love this back home, bro. Y'all are right on with this. <laughs> and lo and behold, the Olympic Committee came in. No, you can't. We want you out of here. You know, they expelled really? them from, the, from, from, our, from our area, commissary areas and everything. Like, get out and might not even give you your passport so you can go back to America. And we were like, whoa. So that was like so much drama. And then... Uh, so after that, we said, oh, man, what are we going to do? You know, because 
I'm not going to make a solution. My hand's too big for the glove. These <laughs> <laughs> some Charlie Scott jokes. <laughs> he was on the team with me, you know. <laughs> so we went in and was playing. We got to the finals. And then Howard Cosell comes again. What's going to happen now, you know? You're going to do something because the people in Detroit is going to be mad if you, the black people are going to say, you need to do something. And I was like, I'm not doing nothing. Man, I just got my passport. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so in the meantime, we had the boxing was coming around for the championship. Right. So I said to George, George, what you going to do? George said, I got a secret for you. George Foreman. George Foreman. I'm sorry. <laughs> George Foreman. Yeah, yeah, George yeah. Foreman, the grill master. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so George said, I got a secret. So we go out, and George knocked this Russian out. And he kept telling us the whole Olympics that I'm going to put him down. He put him down, and George whipped out the American flag. And I was like, yeah, George, that's beautiful. Because George was like uh, in Boys Hope in Houston. He didn't have, he just wanted to be the champion. Yeah. And he didn't want no more trouble after we saw what had went on with Tommy and John. And then I came up for my goal, and we won gold. And they started calling off all this stuff that I did. I was like, did I? <laughs> Oh, he broke the record, the all-time record in scoring. He, he set a new mark. And he's, uh, he set a mark in field goal percentage, 72%. Wow. He set a mark in rebounding. I was like, huh? I did any of this? Because I, I don't, you know, back then you didn't do stats and stuff, you know. And then it came around for them to put the gold medal on my neck. And there I was like, oh, man, it hit me. Four years before, I was in a cotton field picking cotton. Wow. And so now here I am, they put in this gold medal on my neck as an American hero. I mean, I got so weak, my legs got weak. and On the world stage. On the world stage, world stage. Yeah. My legs got weak, and so Charlie and JoJo White, Charlie Scott and JoJo White, they held me up a little bit, and then Bill Hoskin came in and said, stand up, man. <laughs> So I stood up and put the gold medal on, and I just started crying, man. I was like, wow, America. Were your parents there? No, no. My mother never saw me play. You're kidding me. Wow. Never. But she sure did a great... Great job she raising up a, a son. Build, she built this, this, this character they call Spencer Haywood. Yeah, that's, oh, wow. that's her work. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, to, to meet a man of your stature... And your stature, just not because of your athletic accomplishments, but what you do for the community and how you give back and how you don't quit. It's such a humbling and honor for me that. And I really hope you give us a lot of advice in the medical school on what we need to do to produce the right doctors. Because it's not just about science. It's just not about clinical excellence, which we expect to have. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding your own society. It's about dealing with the social determinants. It's about the ethics. It's about the compassion yeah. and the ethics. And uh, the uh, Lou and I have been working together. Let me tell you a little about Lou. Do you, do you know anything about Lou? I want to know about Lou. Okay. <laughs> tell me about Lou. He's the Nick fan. I understand. <laughs> Nick yeah, fan. are you all right with me? <laughs> yes, two, the Nick fan and Morehouse grad. So those are two things. Oh, After that, well, yeah. Spike Lee and... Samuel. Edwin Moses. Edwin Moses. That's right. Yes, Edwin Moses. Yes. 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 Track and field. Uh-huh. Wow. He's from that offshore island called Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Lou and I have been working together for 15 years. Yes. We put together a medical school in South Florida. Lou did his postdoctorate in community development at the University of London. Okay. He worked for many, many years for John Lewis. Okay. As a matter of fact, he was the only person that put together an entire program that was not allowed to go there, and that was women in politics, because he was the wrong gender. I didn't put it together. (laughs) He did that for John Lewis's wife. Yeah. And uh, uh, Lou was in private industry in community and economic development in Harlem, Atlanta, Detroit. Yeah. He was at the University of Michigan. He was I don't found- hold that against you, but it's okay. Because <laughs> I'm from the University of Detroit, so well, you know how that. Well, is. you know, so, so I always you say might, you can't. You spell might know though. U-M. Yeah. <laughs> you might know uh, uh, Perry Watson. Yeah. So Perry Watson is a, a good friend. His daughter is a good friend of of our family, uh, and uh, and Mr. Watson is you know. Incredible human being. Jewel. Yeah, you know, and so. Uh, and also, yeah. he coached at the university. I was just about to say that was just, the reason just, I put. Just that's throwing why, that yeah, out that's there. Why, that's why I wanted to bring so it up. Happens. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so we have strong ties there. Yes. Even though we we worked at uh, the University of Michigan, yeah. we we definitely uh, show deference to to U of D. I don't think you should mention place. University of Michigan anymore. You mentioned it. I just did a show with Jalen Rose. We just did a piece for his ESPN show and you know another University of Michigan another Southwest Detroit boy because uh, Perry know me from all of all of us grew up together in Detroit we played against each other to in high school but Perry kn- know us from we came up to play Southwest Detroit where he was Southeast and Southwestern I think it was and we pulled down the basket bef- in the warm-up oh, Duncan really? <laughs> in high school <laughs> so Perry's like these dudes are <laughs> <laughs> these dudes are nerve-wracking. Salt, salt to the earth, though. Yeah. He, his oh, daughter, his wife, they're all just yeah. incredible We still do every year. We play the Jalen Rose Golf Tournament in, at the Detroit Country Club together in, in Detroit every year. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you go through all, all of those experiences to find yourself years later still talking about trust in the black community. Yeah, well, let me just tell you a little bit, of, if we have time, can I tell you a little bit about my case? Sure, sure. The case that went to the Supreme Court. What happened was, uh, after my sophomore year, my mom back had went out because she had been picking cotton. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just the back had went out, so I was like in desperate need because my family was in dire straits in Silver City, Mississippi. Well, it ain't no civil, and it ain't no city. <laughs> so, so here I am, I, Hannah Storm, the broadcast on ESPN, her father said, you know, we didn't get Kareem in the, in the draft. We need someone else to save the ABA, the American Basketball Association. So they recruited me, and all of the ownership of the ABA said, look, we want this young guy, and if he can get five points, I mean, seven points and maybe five rebounds, the gamut will work. We can get Julius Irving because Julius and all those guys were saying, man, I want to go pro. Right. I want to play. I'm playing with shackles on up in here in the college ranking. So, uh, so I played that year, and I was the MVP, wow. the rookie of the year, leading scorer, leading rebounder, and MVP of the All-Star game at 19. And, wow. 
and I was averaging not like these baby numbers. I was averaging 30 and 20. Wow. <laughs> and so the NBA says, we're in a fight with the ABA. Let's go get Connie Hawkins. They went and got Connie Hawkins because the two franchises that were uh, expansion was Phoenix Suns and the Seattle Supersonic. The Phoenix Suns with Jerry Colangelo went and got Connie Hawkins from the ABA. And then they came after me to just, just destroy the ABA. And so when I signed with Seattle, I walk out on the floor and they said, the announcer came on, ladies and gentlemen, we have a illegal player on the floor, <laughs> number 24. This game is under protest. And I was like, oh, wow. I knew it would be, but yeah. because I was still, I had one more year left in college because before I came along, you had to wait four years after your high school class had graduated right. before you could go into the oh, pros okay. or make any money for yourself. And so then the next 10 days, I had to sit down because of the injunction. Then I got an injunction against them for the rights to play. I played the next 10 games on the protest. Uh, playing in Chicago one night, Chet Walker, uh, because they had told all of the older players in the league that these, if this young guy win this case, you guys are gone because there's going to be young guys coming to take <laughs> your place. So, so Chet Walker said, I hurt my ankle and I'm suing him. And the Chicago, he and the Chicago Bulls sued me for $600,000. Oh, wow. And wow. then... The case maneuvered its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. And when it got there with uh, Thurgood Marshall was just doing the, the verbal, the talk about, you know, this is kind of wrong that what we're doing, putting this young man through this. His family is in dire straits. And we have, uh, we don't, we allow tennis players to go into the pros when they are qualified, hockey players to go when they are qualified, baseball, baseball when they are qualified, but not when basketball, because they are the basketball and football, the two revenue sports. Right. So I want to rule in Haywood's favor, favor uh, under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Mm. And that says that you cannot deprive an American from making a living, especially if you want them to go to war yeah. and, and so on and so forth. So that's how I won that case. And that case has produced nearly $31 billion in players' revenue. Because wow. an example, you take a guy like LeBron James who didn't go for, for, for any years in college. He got four years extra on his legs, four years extra on his career, and he's making, say, $50 million a year. Yeah. So that's $200 million. Almost like you. Yeah, yeah like yeah. you. And that, that extra $50 a year has really helped me out. <laughs> <laughs> Starting out early. <laughs> Starting out early. So, so that case was just significant because I took a stand and I was ostracized for years for it because, you know, you can't sue the league and, right. and you and, don't and pay no away. price. So yeah. I was that guy. And the three of us that was in court at the similar time at the Supreme Court was Muhammad Ali, Kurt Flood, and myself. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was so like... So all that was going on at the same time? Yeah. Wow. And I was playing and trying to play basketball at the same time. I was young, but I, I believed in what I was doing, and uh, I knew that it was going to help athletes, period. 
to uh, save themselves. And right after that, of course, Julius Irvin, George Gervin, all of the players just said, hey, I got to go. I got to go play pro. I never even put the connection because Julius Irvin left UMass early. Yeah. That, so he wouldn't have been able to do that. He wouldn't have been able to do wow. it. Wow. None of them. And so isn't it ironic that uh, the greatest player, well, maybe the second, I don't know. But <laughs> Michael Jordan would not, would not have been able to play for the Bulls at that Bulls time right. if they had won that lawsuit against Ooh. me. Kobe Bryant. Kobe, Kobe Bryant, Bryant, all of them. Yeah. Shaq. Uh, Shaq, Barkley, you name them. Too. Boy, I remember the ABA. I'm uh, from Miami. Yeah, it's Floridians. The, the Miami Floridians. Yeah, man. And it, 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 I'm not Beautiful saying, ball. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that? And Red ball girls and bikinis around the... That, exactly. <laughs> that, but the, the funniest thing was they were so bad, if you paid for the high school game before their game, you could stay yeah. for the pro game. Stay for the pro game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was early basketball. That, that, it was, trying it was to a white create, and orange ball, wasn't it? Yeah, no, white and, uh, red, white, and blue. Red, white, and blue, yeah. That yeah, was you a, can, if your shot is off, you say, oh, man, I know what I got to do. I got to put more spin on this. <laughs> you can see oh, because it, you can see it. You can see, yeah. see the rotation. Yeah, you can see where it's going to bounce off the end. And they had... Um, that's what you know. What happened though, when the merger took place with the NBA and the ABA, and they took only four teams from the ABA: San Antonio, I think, and uh, I don't know the teams right now. But they took everything from the NBA. Took everything that we were using in the ABA into the NBA, except the ball, the three-point shot. All of these things were ABA, the style of play today. Right. Shot was clock. ABA. Wasn't shot, shot clock? Shot clock, everything, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. If all, of all the moments of such important history that you have been a part of, which is the one that sticks most out with you? The one that sticks most, it's a tie between uh, the Olympics and my winning of the gold medal and the feeling of the emotions of 68 and also my trial throughout the, uh, to the Supreme Court because it's paved the way to so many. At that time, it was just usually, it was used for predominantly by African-Americans to come into the league because we didn't have the economics. And now it's used by all of the players from Europe, everywhere. And we have three players that are up for MVP that are from Europe you know, European players. Right. And so uh, the ones it created... That, the ones that I can't pronounce their names. Luca Dantz. <laughs> yeah, I tried. <laughs> and my, uh, my name's Pedro Jose Greer of all okay. combinations. <laughs> Actually, okay. I, I'll say the Greek freak. You say that. <laughs> yeah. Giannis. And, and um, what's the big boy from Denver? She's my old team. Uh, With the V. For, for... No, no, no. His... Uh, Guys, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't know? Okay. <laughs> oh, I can't think of his name. But anyway, he's up. And uh, so I look at all of my stuff that I have done over the years in my playing career up to 14 years in the NBA. I also was married to Iman. I, I brought her. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, oh, we I were married. That. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Iman and I were married for 11 years. Wow. We have a daughter and a granddaughter. And I brought her family from East Africa because they didn't, you know, it was, it was war in Somalia and throughout that area. So I brought those people all over to, to my home in New York and, 
and now they are great citizens of America. And we had a, a good run at, at our marriage and stuff. So, uh, Did you only but, have one child? We only had the one child, yeah. And, Do but you have I one have, child total? Huh? Do you have one child total? No, I have four daughters now. Okay. Four. Oh, I have one daughter there and three more with my wife, Linda, that's current. Well, you're lucky because I have two. One's a boy and one's a girl. But the problem is if you have a, uh, a, uh, an older daughter and a younger son, you think you dropped your son on his head. That's the, <laughs> the, the maturity level is day and night. Well, uh, to, to tell you why I'm, I'm here and why I, I, I see... The, the movement that we should do in terms of medicine is my young daughter had the experience of seeing me visit my psychiatrist because I had issues that was buried from Mississippi, so on. I needed to get it out. And years ago, when I was married to Iman, she was like, you got to go see a psychiatrist. And I was like... That's for white folks. <laughs> so I go in and I and I, I see it, see him, and and we just kicked it off. And I was like, oh, I found a home. Oh, yeah, I can let all of this out, man. I, where was you when I was playing? <laughs> and, 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 and I could have escaped all of these problems. <laughs> and so my young, my my next to youngest daughter would go. She liked to go with me to this this this, this doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And so, lo and behold, when she got to college and started studying and everything, she wanted to be a psychologist. And now she's a doctor. She's 30 years old in New York City as a doctor. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. And so I have another doctor in education, which is uh, Lincoln University. Your mother looking down and seeing her grandkids as a doctor. Yes, yes. I mean, that's... My father's the first one in our family to finish high school, and for him to go to my grandkids, or his grandkids' graduations, yeah. it's powerful. It's extremely powerful. The power of education itself. But you brought up the issue of psychiatry. That's one of the biggest problems we have in this country is appropriate behavioral health for all populations. Yeah. The, uh, I'm, I'm a liver specialist by training a hepatologist, and mm-hmm. I was doing an interview uh, yesterday or the day before about the, the rise in alcoholic liver disease admissions in the hospital. I said, the problem isn't the alcoholic liver disease. The problem is the social determinants of health, mm-hmm. that they, might, they don't have a job, they can't pay their rent, they're depressed, they're mm-hmm. anxious, and we live in an alcoholic society. Exactly. I mean, for goodness sakes, I was shocked the first time I went to CVS and saw that they had a great liquor store. <laughs> At a pharmacy. Yeah, well, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, you, you, it was around Detroit. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just everywhere. You can't get groceries. You can't get food. Without, you can get some alcohol. Yeah, you sure yeah. can. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of things. What, what we're going for, mm-hmm. we want that first-generation college kid. We want the kid, the first one that goes to college, to go to our medical school. Yeah. At the last institution that he and I were founding faculty at, Mm-hmm. 75% of our students only, came, only got accepted into our school. 55% of our students were African-American and Hispanic. Only 5% of American medical students are, are black or, and only 5% are Hispanic. I know. However, every graduating class we had, they had the highest scores in the entire state of Florida. We kicked University of Miami, University yeah. of Florida, Central, everybody. And so we throw away talent in this country. So we you want throw to, it away. Like so we want to develop a pipeline. In these yeah. communities, that's I. I believe you know. I I I look at my father and I say, "Wow, he was so smart and so talented." 
And if it wasn't for him coming to this country, yeah. he would have never gone to high, uh, finished high school or gone to college. No. But the, we don't give those opportunities anymore. Yeah, but there is a way, perhaps, that we can do that. Um, um, I, I look at this year alone, we have 25% of African Americans because they see the, 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 the disparity. Oh, the, it's horrible. The separation of yeah. like, uh, what's going on in our community with uh, mm -hmm. the COVID and everything. So we have 25% of the doctors now, uh, guys who are in, uh, girls and guys who are enrolling into medical school are black. In this country? In this country. They're applying. They're they are applying. applying. They're applying. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know the history, but I know they are applying. But I mean, it's a new day, and, and how can we do something? is I was the chairman of the board for the NBA retired players for years. And, and we used to look at things that we could do that enlighten the communities and do things. And this would be one that I think we can do with the retired players. I'm no longer the chairman, but I, I have a voice. And I also have a voice with the NBA. The NBA is working very closely with me with all things that I do in my foundation. And so, there's a possibility. When we, when we bring kid, girls and boys to camps, basketball camps, Barkley and all of us and stuff, we can start steering them. And we would love that. Okay. And we would love that. And Dr. Yeah. Cheryl Brewster, the real Dr. Brewster, not yeah. this one, but the, uh, she's in charge of a pipeline program. And we think that, that, that we are so driven by the inequities that occur mm -hmm. that we're the only medical school at the very senior level we have a senior executive dean for diversity, inclusion, and equity. Yeah. And if you look at our uh, the uh, the composition of our team, the six of us that came out here, mm -hmm. three of the six are black. I'm Hispanic. Yeah. Two are foreign born. I mean, I'm counting Canada, but that's a yeah, foreign country. Yeah, that's you know. Canada. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we're close to Canada. You know, in Michigan, you know, we're like next door, so the, uh, they don't count. And uh, oh, you from Canada? No. No, he's Hawaiian. He's Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we, the opportunity here in Vegas is not an opportunity we had on the East Coast. The East Coast is anchored down with tradition. Yeah. Here we have a blank sheet of paper. Blank. With a, with a team of six brilliant. I mean, Lou is really one of the most brilliant people I have ever met in my life. I met him okay. 15 years ago when we were starting the new medical school, and I was making a presentation how you know, uh, at-risk communities hate universities because we've never done anything for them. Okay. And so we're going to go in there, we're going to stay in perpetuity, we're going to become dependent on the community. As a matter of fact, in the communities of color that we're going to work in, there's an old saying in medicine that the patient is the best teacher. Mm -hmm. People from these communities, excuse me. Is that yours? Or yeah, my... I don't know how the hell this thing is working. People from these communities, people from these communities teach our students. We're yeah. going to make them faculty members. Oh wow! And, you know, wow. and the and it's going to be if we need to have faculty and students that look like the neighborhoods we're going into. Yeah, we want to be at the most at-risk schools. Why is that? Because we want that kid to say, "Wow, they count look me, like me." Count me in on yeah, this. Yeah, this yeah. I'm loving this. And because I was an at-risk kid, right. and I didn't, I didn't have no opportunity, and the city of Detroit just took me in. And that's why 
I have the feeling of always giving. I have to always give. My mama used to always tell me yeah. when I was like, when was growing up, he didn't listen well. But <laughs> she said, baby, always have your hands out and open. You give a lot, but you receive a lot into your heart. So that's my process. You don't know what an incredible honor it is to sit here and talk with you, sir. It really is. It's a pleasure because I, I, I'm, I deal in divine order. I mean, I'm supposed to be right here at this time in space. And, and, uh, and in the divine we, order, it says also you're going to come speak to our medical doing. students. <laughs> huh? I said the divine order also says you're going to be there speaking to our medical students. I'd love to. Oh, we would, would love, love to have to. you there. Yeah. We really would. Yeah. And uh, if we're thinking of putting together a group to advise us on what we need to do. Because, listen, my profession has not gotten it right. We have incredible disparities. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have the diversity in medical school we need or in yeah. education or in the workforce. So we need folks from the outside to tell us, this is what you need to concentrate on. Yeah. This is what you need to look at. This is what you're not doing from the perspective of me, the patient. Yeah. You know, we have to have doctors that are humble. We have to have doctors that are compassionate. Yeah. Just not getting straight A's. Yeah. You know, you could be clinically excellent and not be a great research scientist. That's yeah. great. We need a clinician. We need to take care of people. We need to serve people. That's what our job's supposed to do. Yeah, but you guys are in such a unique position with the state of Nevada. This is like new, it's like a brand new canvas you got. Yes. You can work with this canvas exactly. to, to, to create and, and make it what you want. Because you have a lot of people coming here yeah. in droves. But they don't have things. We don't have like a big medical school here. We, we, the, the, what's that saying here? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We want to make it so that what happens in Vegas, the world gets to know. The world gets to know. Come here that's to a learn great, how to... That's a great slogan. You, you should know. take it over to... That is that is a great slogan right there because the old one, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah, that's like. Well, uh, it it was truly a pleasure to have you. Um, It's it's incredible that you know uh, the thing that stood out when we saw the potential of you coming was your uh, obsession with getting. Uh, the black community to trust healthcare again. And so I think that there's no greater perfect alignment with what we're trying to do than that. Yeah. And so uh, I want you to kind of see this as the introduction to a very long and fruitful relationship and supporting one another and what it is we're trying to do. Okay. I would love to because, you know, it's such a disparity right now. Right. We're looking at with this COVID. It, uh, the, the disparity was there before. What COVID did was rip the, just top, rip off the, the roof. top off of it. Yeah, yeah. so everybody but, now sees But it. right now, we're going to need people to go and get the vaccine oh, in their arms. One, it, it, if you have the opportunity to get the vaccine, get it. Yeah. Get it, get it. It is so important. It, it really is. It is so important. It is life and death, you know. And, and with African-American communities, and I know with Hispanic communities and other Asian communities, there's this superstition that, yeah. you know, they gonna do something to me. Man, please, yeah. you know. That, well, that's based on history that we I did. Know, I know it's based on history. <laughs> we talk you know about what? the Tuskegee it, it, experiment, it, all of these right. things, but 
man, you it's, know. It's a, it, right now, look at what's going in the pandemic, on in this, in and you need world. to trust this. You got to trust now. You have to really trust. I trusted you. Uh, I was at your university. I had my first vaccine I, I know there that. Yes. at Roseman University, and, and I have my second one coming up. Get ready, it knocks you down. It knocks you down. The, the second one, I, it was funny. I, I did fine the day of, the, uh, of my second vaccine. The next morning, every joint in my body hurt. And I looked at my wife, I said, it must be because I'm old. She goes, you had the vaccine yesterday. Yeah, the Take vaccine, an Advil. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Take an Advil, let's go. And, 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 that, and that took care of it. <laughs> yeah, but some people that don't knock them down. You know, right. and No, it's, the majority of folks, it doesn't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And 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 Saxon, but we don't want to give them the idea. Right, that right. Like, oh, come on! It's like half a day. You take an Advil, you do great. <laughs> no, you know, they're waiting for an excuse. <laughs> there you go. Oh, no, man, no, I'm no. not. You know. No, this is important because it not only protects you, <laughs> yeah. it protects your family yeah. exactly. and your community. Oh my God! Exactly. Yeah. There was that one case I was reading about uh, about a week ago of a woman who got COVID, but she was embarrassed to tell her family it and everybody in her family died. Yeah. Ooh. And th- th- that, th- that's the importance of this. I mean, th- at this time, science is working. Yeah. My niece is, on, is in the hospital in intensive care at this time with COVID. Yeah. Oh, wow. What is her yeah. name? Huh? What is her first name? Her first name is Sherry. She'll be in my daily prayers. Yes, sir. Sherry Haywood, yeah. There you go. She yeah. will be in my daily prayers. And, 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 and also, uh, I'm a survivor of COVID, you know? I... Um, I just was fortunate. I, I did the right thing. My wife stayed in one room of the area of the home, and I stayed in another area. I survived it, and um, it ain't nothing to play with. It's not. And the other example he's given you, even if you have been exposed to COVID, that doesn't mean you have immunity. You need to get the vaccine. Oh, that's if all of all of my my specialist doctors and the NBA doctors. You don't even need a vaccine now. You got like 90 days of immunity. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. But I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> Let it come. Come on, get me. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I, did, I did the measles vaccine as a kid. I did polio. I did all these vaccines. And, and, and you know, like being married to an African, you go to the African countries that have not had vaccines and so on. You just see, oh boy, polio, different things uh, are there. I think the lesson here is if you take your vaccines, you could win an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. And be an NBA. (laughs) Marry marry a supermodel. (laughs) Marry a supermodel. Marry a supermodel. supermodel. There you go. (laughs) Well, Joe, Joe, take us home. Mr. Hayward, it's been an honor to have you here, sir, and I look forward to working with you. I'm looking forward to it. This Thank is you. Cuba Pete from Studio A in Las Vegas. It's no laughing matter. We talk serious topics, but don't forget to have a smile on your face, especially when you come across others. It's so important. Thank you. Thank you.